0: Welcome to the Outward OPC podcast. Outward OPC is a work of the Committee on Home Missions, and its goal is to encourage zeal for reaching the lost and to be a tool for the OPC and other Reformed churches to be more effective at reaching people outside the church. You can check out the website at outwardopc.com. Now let's get to today's episode. Brad Herzog here for Outward OPC. Today, I have John Shaw with me. As many of you know, John Shaw is the General Secretary on the Committee on Home Missions and Church Extension. Uh, John, we're glad to have you today to talk about uh, what's going on in our church plants and home missions and particularly about outreach, so we're glad you're here. Uh, It's great to be here with you, Brad. So let me jump right in. Um, You get to travel a lot. You get to see a lot of uh, our OPC church plants and churches. I was wondering if you could take some time and tell us a little bit about what you see in the churches, things that you see that are encouraging to you, whether they are sort of more general trends or whether they're individual things. I think a lot of uh, listeners don't get to visit a lot of churches and would love to hear uh, what somebody like you gets to see.
1: Yeah, I I think some of the things uh, to be encouraged about are some of the young church planners that God's given to the OPC guys who are excited about reaching into their community, guys who are committing lots of time and effort to preaching the gospel more clearly, uh, getting to know their neighbors, uh, being in the house of their neighbors and their neighbors being in their house, and congregations who are grabbing onto that vision as well. I was just at a church plant recently out in California with a, a Jehovah's Witness who has been converted to. To Christianity trusting in Christ being ready to be baptized why did it happen he moved next door to an OPC pastor (laughs) started to have him over for dinner they started to talk about things and he heard the gospel and now he's a baptized member of a church and that's not unusual I don't think right now we're seeing that happen with our pastors they're really invested in their communities invested in people's lives and they're driven uh, by the compassion of their Savior Other things that are exciting to see, we have a a new mission work in the Atlanta area, Clarkston, Georgia, uh, intentionally uh, reaching into refugee communities. Clarkston is what I think called the Ellis Island of the South. And uh, Chris Cashin's there as a church planner out of Redeemer Church, that's an OP church that's been there for decades, just 10 to 15 minutes away from Clarkston. And they called an evangelist to do that kind of work, and that's exciting. I think that's gonna be a place for us to learn how to do that everywhere, because if you live in any, in a city of any kind of size and you look around, you're gonna see people from all sorts of different nations, and uh, they're people that we're called to love. Uh, so what an opportunity to learn how to do that well as a church. And I'm excited to see in five years what Chris Cashin can teach the rest of us and what Redeemer can teach us about how to reach into this community. So that's exciting for me, Uh, excited about New City, OPC in Grand Rapids, a a church that is cross-cultural. They're reaching people with the gospel from a variety of of races and nations. That's exciting to see as well. I just think we're seeing more opportunities like that. Opportunities in Arroyo, Puerto Rico, that was devastated by the hurricane that came through uh, last September. And uh, the church, this new church plant that had just started receiving funding from us, lost three or four families that had to move away because of the hurricane, and yet they're adding new families because uh, they're reaching people who are ready to hear the gospel, who who know that they live in a world that's broken because they've seen it. And uh, it's just exciting to see those kind of opportunities that maybe aren't what we're thinking about as we uh, see church plants described in New Horizons, that, We're having opportunities to reach nations, not just through foreign mission fields, but uh, to do it
0: here. Um, And that's exciting to see. That is exciting to hear. When you talk about um, sort of the newer crop of church planters that the Lord is giving the OPC and their ability to kind of interact with their communities, where where are those guys coming from? I don't necessarily mean seminary-wise, but how are they getting connected to us? And what do you think is sort of driving their interest in reaching the community, and maybe their effectiveness or ability to reach these
1: Yeah, I I think part of what's exciting about it is that there isn't a common background or trajectory that they're coming from. So if I could share a couple names, I mean, you have Jeremiah Montgomery, now a missionary in China, but he was doing really good evangelistic work at State College, and he was raised in an Orthodox Presbyterian church. His dad's been a faithful elder for a couple decades now. Uh, Same thing with a guy like Mike Myers in Royston, Georgia grew up in OPC and PCA churches. You have those kind of guys, John Shishka is another one in Queens, guys who grew up in an OP or PCA background, but you also have Chris Hartshorn and Matt Prather in California. These are guys who were converted through Calvary Chapel missions and served as Calvary Chapel pastors and missionaries, and now they're Orthodox Presbyterian pastors. But they bring with them evangelistic zeal, ability to communicate the gospel. They've learned how to how to meet people and, and, and build friendships, not because they see people as targets, but because they love people, uh, because they've seen the model of their savior who loved We also have guys like in Virginia Beach, uh, Lowell Ivy, grew up far outside the church, had a, a difficult uh, life, committed some some difficult sins that brought significant consequences, converted in prison, and now just one of the most zealous, effective evangelists that we've probably seen in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Uh, and then a guy like Brad Peppo in Ohio, trained as a teacher and then a lawyer, then a pastor who's just really skilled at speaking to skeptics and atheists and asking questions and wanting to know why they see the world the way they see it, and then being able to effectively tell them how he sees the world based on what he knows of the one true God. I mean, these guys are all coming from different places. They have different skill sets, different passions, different background, and yet, the Lord's prepared them to be effective. I mean, that's what we see in the scriptures, right? Just think Peter, Paul, John. Very different backgrounds, different skill set, different passion. It's clear in the scriptures, you know, the portion of the scriptures that they wrote, inspired by the Spirit, that they bring all of their personality with them. And that's what we're seeing. And I, I think that's exciting to know that you don't have to be one kind of person Uh, to be effective in in reaching your community, that the Lord uses all sorts of different people, and not just pastors, but all of us. He prepares us uh, for the place that he puts us.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's a good snapshot. I think that's the type of thing that a a lot of listeners, a lot of OPC people don't get to hear that's going on out there. So I appreciate that, and I'm sure uh, listeners will too. So where there are encouragements, no doubt there are challenges. You and Al spend a lot of time with these men, with their uh, new churches. Again sort of broad landscape what are what are the challenges that our uh, church plants are facing sort of geared toward outreach and 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 yeah. you know growing the church and reaching people there may be other things that you want to touch on too Yeah uh, one of the significant challenges that
1: is not unique to the OPC, but I think it takes on its own flavor as a challenge in the OPC is the idea of being a welcoming, hospitable, friendly church. Now again, I don't think that's just the OPC I mean, if you're paying attention to uh, different Christian book publishers and what's coming out in the last six months, it's filled with books about hospitality, like uh, Rosaria Butterfield's new book, which I haven't read yet. I'm getting ready to. And and uh, Tom Rainer has a book uh, about becoming a welcoming church that's really helpful. It's short quick read but really practical uh, things to consider and of course we're seeing a lot of books about hospitality in the context of welcoming refugees welcoming Muslims and how do we as Christians uh, how how does the Lord give us a unique way to respond to folks I think those are challenges that every church is facing but we face in a unique way uh, in that we're a church that's committed to some very specific confessional standards so, we're, we try to be really clear about what we believe and we hold our confession and catechism tightly because we should and we want to teach it and our people, uh, a lot of the people that come to our churches want to grow in their depth of understanding and those are good things and we don't ever want to lose that. But at the same time, we also have to be the kind of church that is quick to reach out to people simply because they're made in the image of God, they're worth knowing and they need the gospel. And there needs to be a way for those people to be welcomed into our church who probably aren't even close to thinking about and and wanting to think about what the confession says on this or that topic. But they do know that the world is hurting and that they're hurting. And they haven't found an answer to that yet. And the answer is Jesus. So how do we become more effective in not only helping people grow in depth of understanding in theology and who God is, but also in welcoming people and loving them and caring for them simply because they're our neighbor, and that's what we're called to do, and because they're valuable in the eyes of God, so they should be valuable in our eyes. And I think that's a struggle for us to know how to do both. And so we have to keep wrestling with that because we don't want to lose the other. And I think we see that maybe most specifically in the pulpit. Uh, If if we preached a simplistic 10-minute sermon, we'd have people who are coming to our church who are expecting a whole lot more, and rightfully so. And so we want to give them meat and dig into a text. At the same time, we should want our 5-year-old children and the 25-year-old unbeliever who somebody invites to church to be able to hear that sermon and understand something of the gospel and be able to learn about who Jesus is and what claims he makes and what he's done. And so, to learn how to preach in that way that both gives uh, deep theology that feeds people, but also gives a clear presentation of the truth, which is what we're called to do, I think we we got to continue to wrestle with that. And that takes hard work, training. It's harder to preach a clear, simple sermon that's also complex than to preach just a complex sermon. And so, we got to wrestle with that. But I would say for our church planners. What they're, what they're seeing is the biggest challenge is how to train and equip people to be hospitable and friendly. Because it, I don't think it is natural for us. <laughs> and, and I don't mean necessarily it's not natural for Reformed people. It's not natural for human beings. We all want it, but we don't always know how to do that. And so learning how, as a congregation, to welcome people and hear them and
0: love them, You know, we need to to approach that with lots of wisdom and lots of prayer and hard work. Yeah, so you mentioned a couple of resources there, and I've been around you and the the training that you do enough to to have heard some of the resources. So I'm I'm wondering if you could share with people, obviously for people who don't know, you've got uh, once a year you've got the Church Planter Training Conference, but you've also got some other other conferences and and training throughout the year. You just mentioned an interesting point there. Not just training pastors, but training congregations. Mm -hmm. So... We've got pastors listening, we've got OPC members, PCA members, mm-hmm. others listening. Let's let's dig into that side about training people, not yeah. just pastors how to do this, but people. What what comes to mind? Maybe, maybe it's some of those that you mentioned that you could amplify yeah. a little bit, or maybe there's some that you, you didn't mention.
1: Yeah, so Rosaria Butterfield, you know, her new book on hospitality, I enough people have recommended it that I've trust, and I've heard her interviews that even though I haven't read it yet, I can say that. I'm sure that's a useful resource. But actually, her first book, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Unlikely Convert, convert. that book is so helpful. I know the main purpose of the book isn't evangelism or hospitality, but there's so much in there that's instructive about how we interact with our neighbors. Uh, The simple fact that for two years, this pastor and his wife had her in their home and didn't pressure her to come to church, didn't push the gospel down her throat, even though they were giving evidence of the gospel and speaking about Jesus, but they weren't forcing it and pushing it so hard. And they also didn't think, well, this isn't going anywhere. We've been visiting with her and had her in our home almost every week for a year and a half. Maybe we need to move on. No, they were persistent in loving her. And the Lord used that to bring her to faith I mean, there's a lot for us to learn in that, and I've been secretly wishing for her to write a book on hospitality ever since I read the first book. So I think her stuff is really useful. I think um, you know, a book like uh, John Leonard's book "Get Real" is really helpful, just to think about how congregations can live in the normalcy of their life with their neighbors and have their their believing friends and unbelieving friends intersecting. In arenas of hospitality and fellowship, there's some good things for us to learn there. There's good things for pastors to learn in that book as well about how to communicate clearly the gospel. As far as pastors training their congregation, the first step is to just be a good example of hospitality, of loving people, of learning how to speak clearly. Sometimes I think in the complexity of our preaching, we forget that one of the goals in our preaching is to clearly present the gospel not just to unbelievers but clearly present it to believers because that's one of the places that our congregation learns what the gospel is both for their own edification and their growth in grace and their growth in love for God but also in their ability to speak it and so if we can figure out ways to talk about justification in practical clear language with examples and illustrations we're serving our congregation well. And so I think just in how we communicate the gospel, it helps teach our congregation how to communicate it. You know, other resources that, that are useful, I really think Tom, Tom Rainer's doing some good stuff. His podcast, his resources, his book on being a welcoming church, his book, Autopsy of a Deceased Church, that has more to do with church health and evangelism. But we want to be a healthy church because that's what God calls us to be, but also because healthy churches are the kind of churches that people want to be in. And so I think there's some things for us to learn there. And to have those things alongside some of the classics, like Packer's book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, uh, Kuyper's book on evangelism and in the, in the church. I mean, to have those as the root and theological foundation, and then bring these other resources in to help us think about how that theology works out in the life of the church. We need both, and I think
0: pastors should be reading both. If I could get a little more concrete staying on that theme for a minute, I think that uh, most people in the OPC would know that a common church plant setting would be a fairly small group of Reformed people, could be 20, 30, 40 people, Uh, a great desire to to see people come in, maybe not the most fruit with, with people coming in, maybe not stepping on anybody's toes here, but, you know, maybe a few eccentric people in the congregation that are quick to go to visitors. Maybe they have a, you know, a topic that they really like to talk about. I'm wondering if uh, what you and Al and the committee, it's obviously a common thing you deal with. How do you encourage both pastors and congregates in that type of setting? Just genuine interest, maybe trying to find their way to do it, maybe trying to figure out how to maneuver some of these more difficult circumstances. Do you yeah. guys have some, do you talk about that and do you have uh, thoughts that you can share more broadly? on Sure. On that? Yeah. I mean, first of all, for the church planter,
1: one of the things we talk about regularly with church planters is that our tendency when we meet new people is to talk a lot and make lots of statements and that maybe our tendency more often should be to ask short questions and listen a lot. James, tells us that, right? He says we should be uh, slow to speak and quick to listen. I think those are those words of instruction. I need those words all the time. Uh, Pastors in particular, we're trained and we're equipped to speak theology. We're trained to teach and preach, but when we're interacting with people, and especially new people, we should be listening a whole lot more than we should be speaking. Al tells a great story. Al Tricarica tells a story about one of his children, his sons. When he was asked as a little boy, you know, what did he want to be when he grew up? And I think it was he wanted to be a fireman or a pastor. And uh, when they asked him, why do you want to be a fireman or pastor? He said, well, firemen have cool costumes, but pastors get to talk a lot. And I really like to talk. (laughs) That's a great story. And it's instructive. There's a context in which pastors are are doing a lot of speaking, but there's a context in which we should be doing a lot of listening. And I think we can set the example. When a new visitor comes, we should ask them about themselves. You learn a lot by asking them questions about their work, about their life. What do they do with their spare time? What kinds of things are they passionate about? You know, we know this from ourselves, right? If somebody meets us, And they continually talk to us, but they're really not interested in knowing anything about us. Those aren't the kinds of people that we gravitate to and build friendships with. Friendships are built around understanding the other person. And so we should be wanting to know about people. And pastors set the pace on that, but we should be teaching our people. I think it's really helpful for pastors and church planners regularly to be talking to their congregation and sharing with their congregation some good questions to ask when people come in. Uh, We have a a post like that on Outward OPC that I, a couple posts maybe that I think are helpful. But I think pastors should be regularly reminding people these are the kinds of questions to ask because it isn't natural for us. We're quicker to talk about ourselves than to ask people perceptive questions and then listen. And I, I think we need to grow in that area and it isn't natural. I mean, we, our tendency is to think, of course that's true. People will learn how to do that. Well, no. I, I think about myself. It's not natural. I have to really work at it and be intentional about it. And I think that's true for most of us. And so we need to learn how to ask good questions. We need to help our congregation do that. I, I also think we need to create venues that are friendly and non-threatening. Um, I fully believe that, that the primary work of the church is worship and that witness is second. So I think that's, you know, generally how we think in the OPC. I think it's biblical, worship and witness. But it's really it's not like it's, you know, worship is number one and it's so high up there that really witness is like number five and there isn't a two, three, and four. We should be thinking worship and witness. They're really one A and one B. And so yes, our primary purpose is a worshiping community and the Lord seeking worshipers. But we also have to understand that there are people where the worshiping context is something that they don't know it's a foreign language to them in a foreign world i remember a visitor at mission opc in st paul minnesota when i was the pastor uh where he was so intimidated that the first time he showed up he actually backed all the way into a corner to stay away from and our our group was great about welcoming him and one or two people went and found him and and helped just kind of introduce him to what was happening, and we learned about him. But I asked him, the first time I met with him, I I said, so tell me about your interaction with the church. It was only the second time he'd ever been in a church building, and the first time he came because they were feeding people. He'd never been in a worship service in his life, and he was terrified. We have all had those experiences where we walked into a situation that we have never been in before, and we wanted to go hide in a corner. And I think we forget that that's the experience of a lot of people who visit our church. And if we approach them the same way we approach everybody else, we're increasing the intimidation and their fear is rising and they're not gonna come back. So we need to create safe venues, safe places, not to hide what we believe, but because we want to get to know these people. I think you know, in in Get Real, uh, that book by John Leonard that I mentioned, he has a chapter called Party Evangelism. (laughs) I find it to be the most helpful chapter in the book. He talks about creating hospitality venues in your home or other places where your believing friends and unbelieving friends can come together and do something that they all enjoy. And they can your unbelieving friends can get to know Christians and see these are normal people. We actually like some of the same things. And that that's sometimes a good introduction for unbelievers to believers. I think we have to think about that some it's not just getting people in a worship service although that's the end goal the lord seeking worshipers that's the end goal but sometimes that's not the first step and so ken smith with rosaria butterfield and secret thoughts of an unlikely convert for two years that venue was their house where she could talk about anything she wanted to and nobody was going to jump down her throat and correct her that was her safe place to hear and to, and to meet believers, and it took two years for her to walk into a worship service. There, there's something instructive there for us, that it's not always the first goal is to invite my friends to a worship service. There are lots of other venues where they're introduced to the Christian faith because they're introduced to Christians, and I think we have to wrestle through that some.
0: That's good. I- some examples come to mind. I'll let you share them uh, that we have of this in the OPC. I think of David Graves, uh, oh, Brad yeah. Peppo. Can you give us those two? And then yeah. if there's others that come to mind, they they've created at least one space. What are right. they? So I'll start with Brad Peppo. Brad Peppo, um,
1: you know he's he's gifted in apologetics and he has some interest in just understanding what other people believe, and that's a good interest. And so he went on some websites and found skeptic associations that have meetings and he showed up on a college campus at a meeting for skeptics and when they asked him to introduce himself he said I'm a Christian pastor but I'm really here to listen and I want to understand what you guys believe and so I'm not here to talk I'm just here to listen because I want to understand how you all think what what a good thing to go on their turf not simply to wait for them to come to your turf but he went to their turf and said I want to learn about you and what was interesting is that over time, when they would talk about Christians and what they believe, all of a sudden they would say, wait a minute, we have a Christian that's here. Why don't we hear what he believes and what he thinks? That was Brad stepping into their world. And I think sometimes that's, that's a useful instruction for us. We're always trying to bring people into our world. What if we step into their world? We don't leave behind what we believe.
0: But we step into their world and hear what, they, what they're what they thinking. And if I recall then, he also, they ended up coming into his world. He yeah. had some backyard campfires where right. they were more than happy to come and continue the conversation right. there.
1: So he would have bonfires in his backyard and they would have people from all different, you know, belief backgrounds come and they would have an opening question. How do we know that something's true? Why do we believe what we believe? And it was a venue for people to share what they believed and Brad would eventually share what he believed but it was a non-threatening place for them to come even though eventually faith was going to be presented so again he wasn't leaving behind what he believed but he was creating a safe space to talk about those things and I, I think that's there's something useful there uh, and you can read about that I think it was the March 2017 New Horizons where Brad describes that uh, David Graves is a church planner in Coeur d'Alene Idaho David has interests in gaming and uh, not just video gaming, but board games and strategy games. And uh, he found a store that both sold those games, but also had times where people would come together and play different games together. And, And David introduced himself to those folks and participated in that with them, a shared interest. And eventually, as he talked about his Christian faith, they said, hey, maybe you could start a Bible study at the gaming store. Same thing, you know, it was a a smoke shop, pipe and cigar shop. And, you know, we can all talk about those kind of venues and whether we want to be in them. But David was in them. And they said, Hey, would you start a Bible study here at the smoke shop? And he did. And now, uh, one of the guys that he's met through those different venues, they regularly go hiking together and they go to uh, gun rages together and they talk about the gospel. And that's simply David, a shared interest, spending time with people and showing interest in people because he is interested in them, and it opened an avenue for them to to talk about their faith. We also have Matt Cotton in Pasadena. There's a a New Horizons article. uh, I think it's going to be in the July issue of New Horizons. He has a combination jujitsu training Bible study where he's, he's trained in both. There are two things he's passionate about, and he's able to both teach them some martial arts skills, but also teach them the Bible. And that's been a fruitful place for him to do ministry. Again, you know, it's not people who've come to the church first to hear the gospel, but but Matt's gone to them
0: a shared interest that opens the door to speaking about Jesus. Those are good, and those are pastors. Uh, maybe just for listeners, uh, I think I know what your answer would be, but could you just touch on, I mean, these seem like things that members of congregations can do. Yeah. These seems like things that aren't. You know, for the ordained we we all can find a place. Thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I, I think one of the one of the best ways to be involved in evangelism isn't necessarily the knocking on doors and coming you know, using some canned presentation. There's a place for that. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But another way to think about how to be evangelistic is simply to live your life. So there all of us have things that we're passionate about. All of us hopefully have hobbies that we do outside of our regular work for which we're paid and employed, but areas of interest. And there are other people interested in the same thing. We should be building friendships with those people. As we're doing things together, some of them might be Christians, some of them might not be, but as we live our life and are are faithful in how we live our life, it's natural that at some point we're gonna have the opportunity to speak about other things about which we're passionate, which include our Savior. And that's, I think, often where the most effective evangelistic conversations happen is people living their life. So I know this the same guy that visited our church in St. Paul for the first time ever had been in a worship service. He was introduced to the faith because on the internet he was on a photography website that a member of an OP church in another part of the country had started. And as they got to know each other over the internet He started to ask questions. Why do you make those decisions? Why do you do this? And she could start to talk to him about how uh, she makes those decisions based on her faith and what the Bible teaches. And that led to evangelistic conversations. But it all started with a shared interest in photography. I just think that that's the most natural way that we have opportunity to share the faith. People aren't a target. They're people that we've already built friendships with, that we have shared interests but eventually you have the opportunity to share your passion for Jesus. And we all have those spaces and venues to do that.
0: Yeah, and it makes me think of one other example, something (laughs) Phil Proctor said. Phil's the pastor in Sterling, Virginia, and we did a story on his Friday night fellowship Mm -hmm. that he's doing, having people over for dinner, and they talk about something that's somewhat gospel-related, but it's often a little bit broader than that. But he said something interesting when we did that story. He said, when you do evangelism together, it's not as intimidating for people who might be afraid. If you don't know what to say, somebody else is there and can pick up the ball. So they have six, seven, eight church members. They have four or five unbelievers, and it's not on Phil every night to talk. It's not on somebody else to talk. There's people right. there. Uh, so it, re- it it reminds me of that that uh, this type of this style of evangelism can re- be really helpful for people, yeah. even who are a bit intimidated by it.
1: Right. I think that's one advantage. I think a second advantage is that because we're interacting with unbelievers over something that we're a shared interest, it removes the feeling of them being a target. And I do think that's, that's a danger that we fall into, is that we see people not as people made in the image of God who are worth knowing and loving, but we see people as an evangelistic target. And, and they're not naive. <laughs> they know when that's what's happening. And nobody wants to be a target. <laughs> It, it, it somehow reduces you from so, to something less than a person if you're a target. Those conversations don't go well, and those relationships don't last. And, and I don't think it's the biblical framework. People aren't targets. They're people made in the image of God, loved by God. I know not, and I want to be careful how I say that, not loved by God in the same way that believers are loved by God, but God, look, uh, Jesus looks at Jerusalem with compassion He weeps over them. So, you know, different kinds of love, I get that. But he has compassion for them. And he says, you know, in Matthew 9, it says that Jesus looked on them with compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Or Jonah chapter 4, when God describes his compassion in that great question that ends the book, he really gives two reasons why he has pity on Nineveh. One is because he made them. And secondly, it's because they're lost. And that drives him not to frustration, it drives him to pity and compassion. And so we should see people not just not, not as targets, we should see people as those who are worth our love and our attention because they're worth knowing, because we're gonna grow in our understanding of who God is because of who they are, and because God loved them enough to make them in his image. And I think we show that best by getting to know people and loving them for who they are. And then eventually, sometimes earlier, sometimes later, that leads to an opportunity to share our faith with them.
0: Well, this has been great, John. Thanks for taking the time, especially thanks for the stories and the particulars that people can get a more vivid picture of, of some of the things you get to see and Al gets to see as you, as you guys travel and see our churches. It's, it's exciting. Uh, to hear those stories and to be more engaged. And we look forward to, to doing it again down the road and hearing what's going on.
1: Yeah, if I could just say as a follow-up to that, Al and I are so thankful for the the opportunity to serve the church in this way. Uh, I am regularly encouraged in my faith to see what the Lord does uh, with instruments that we all have our own weaknesses, but the Lord does amazing things. So we're really thankful to see that and to participate in it and to rejoice Uh, as the Lord does some of that work.
0: That's it for today's episode. You can go to the website at outwardopc.com to check out more resources, and you can sign up for our email list where you'll receive notifications when new things are available. Until then, we'll see you next episode.